0: I'm Michelle Magwood. This is the TM Live Book Show. Crime writing has exploded in South Africa in the last decade, led, of course, by Dion Mayer, Mike Nicol, Margie Orford. And then in 2001, a new writer came onto the scene, and this was something new entirely. Amanda Kutsia hails from London, but she's married to a South African, and she now lives in Rustenburg, where she's the deputy headmistress of a large school. Her excellent first thriller, Bad Blood, burst onto the shelves and established her immediately as a talented new writer. She's since written three more books, and the latest, called One Shot, is in store now. Amanda's in Johannesburg this week for the Bloody Book Week, and we have her here on the line now. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. You have a very busy schedule today, I see. Indeed, but I'm still managing to find time to eat, thank goodness. Oh, good, well, I won't keep you away from from your lunch. Amanda, I want to go right back to the very first novel, which was um, titled Bad Blood. I absolutely loved it. Now, you, um, you were a finalist in the Citizen Prize with it, weren't you?
1: That's correct. I had two entries in the top ten, um, and what it required to actually win was the the public had to vote for you. So although I didn't win the prize, I was very fortunate enough to get Pan McMillan's attention and afterwards they asked for synopsis and um, they, they were sort of dithering whether to publish turning point which was a, a South African um, protagonist in detective series or whether to go for the English one and in the end they offered me a contract for Bad Blood and for Badger or DIA Harry O'Connor
0: right now Harry O'Connor our Badger I think he's one of the most unusual attractive winning detectives to come along in a long time tell us more about him
1: Yeah, I think you've summed it up. He really is. I think he's unusual, but he has got a a very attractive quality about it. And I think it's his toughness coupled with his vulnerability. He's an interesting guy with lots of issues that don't get in the way of him being an effective policeman, you know, most of the time. But, um, you know, he's physically very arresting. He's got lots of tattoos. He's got dark hair and blue eyes. But it's his inner turmoil and torment that makes him, I think, a very interesting character to read about. I was intrigued by his
0: gypsy heritage. What sort of research did you do into um, that community for the book?
1: Well, quite a lot. There's a lot on the internet, but they are a very, very secretive community. So in the end, I was sort of relying on people. My dad had grown up on the farms and he'd worked with them. He was very surprised that I'd understood the word cant, which is the, the word that they use for their language. And during the research, I also found out from my aunt that we had um, Romani blood in our own bloodline as well. So then we got lots of sort of inside information. And, but, you know, there's a lot of interest on the travellers because they're a community that's managed to still stay, stay outside mainstream society. And that's becoming increasingly difficult to do it a country like england
0: i think it's a pity um because of that ghastly tv series big fat gypsy wedding which i think shows um the travelers in a bad light don't you think
1: i really do i think it just it you know it's a a mockery of them and it makes fun of them and i think it's really sad that they don't see that they're being made fun of they're being exploited horribly and um, but i never really came across that phenomena when i was researching them and i think that's to do with the 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 travelers that are settled that have sort of moved away from the traveling community itself where they because it's very seasonal you know they go to horse shows they do you know they work with the farming seasons but these travelers are sort of settled in housing estates and I think they've tried to make some of the glamour and the beauty of their life around these you know very traditional events and important events in a woman's life you know the, the traveler children they often drop out of school by the age of 12 uh, the girls specifically, the boys even younger. So um, a lot of them are illiterate, a lot, of, a lot of them don't have anything except for this big marriage the communion that mm. comes first and then the marriage so it's a massive cultural reference but whether it's marked in that particular way through the majority of the Irish traveling community, I
0: don't really think it is. No years ago I found in a second hand bookshop a huge fat book called um, A Dictionary of Gypsy Law um, which I occasionally mm-hmm. dip in and out of. It really is an, a fascinating culture, um, the true gypsies who I believe actually um started in India um centuries ago. That was the roots of the of the Romanese or gypsies
1: that's true India or Egypt there seems to be some sort of argument about that and where the roots of the language they seem to be discussing it in terms of the language root rather than the I think the the, the dark color obviously as well but um, yeah definitely they come from they traveled across and have sort of established themselves in every single community in the world but also outside of the community so they've really managed to hold on to their own laws and the way that they hold in in Redemption Song there's a lot more about them they've got that which is the court that they have and you know it's it's those blood feuds can go on for hundreds of years mm. and it's not just about you know killing the person that was responsible it's about sort of killing everybody that might be responsible in that family yep. so you know they can be brutal but on the other hand they've got this purity about them yeah. which you just don't see very often anymore
0: no no right well let's jump um let's jump forward amanda to one shot um which is your latest book starring badger what's happening there
1: Okay, Badger's meet, make his match perhaps in the form of a sniper, is an ex-military um, army sniper who left the forces disgruntled with an operation that went wrong where he was forced to shoot his spotter. And um, he's now le- leading a very, very quiet life. But there's something simmering away in him. And there's a, a, a scene where he eventually, he he sort of makes a decision to take justice into his own hands. And that then puts him on the on route to a, a con- with Badger and between the two of them they're trying to work out what justice is I think Mm. Um, and really for both of them it's about removing the people that don't deserve to live and I think Badger's got that idea as well that you know he's got the right to make the decision about whether people are right or wrong or good or bad and Tom of course takes it one step further and he'll make that decision then he'll dispatch you if he doesn't like you or what you're doing.
0: No, Now um, for the first time you bring badges to South Africa is that in
1: response to readers asking you to or publishers? There was a lot of talk about why Badger had never come to South Africa or why I chose not to write about South Africa living in South Africa for 16 years. And I think was I was a little bit fearful about it because when I write about England, it's almost an instinctive thing. I feel it rather than know it. I remember places and there's a you know just that sort of tapping into the memories that when you grew up I don't have to see it to write it and I was worried that I wouldn't have the same ability about South Africa and plus it's a difficult country to write about you know there are lots of political issues crime very rarely you know is basic enough to keep I mean it's very difficult to write a crime novel that can rival the crime that takes place in the country so I think for those issues I've been avoiding it and then I decided not to be scared anymore and just to try it mm. and um, And it felt right when I did it you know there, there definitely is that sense of wonder and sometimes horror when I consider South Africa I mean I won't lie about it so you know I, but I think I hope that I did it in a respectful way because the country has been my home for 16 years. You know, my husband, I found here, my son was born here. So it's, it's incredibly important to me. And I think it was time for me as a writer to just dip my toes into it and say, you know, can I do this? And hopefully I did. Yes, you did. And and you also bring a um
0: you know, a very fresh eye <clears throat> to the situation, um simply because of your of your situation. But I mean we're talking about age old feuds now. Um in your book um some very convincing bad Eastern European people. Tell me about your research on them.
1: Yeah, that's... that. I deliberately chose them because... Well, this was before Taken had come out with Liam Neeson and everybody now sort of, like, categorizes them as, like, having too much gold jewelry and black leather jackets. But <laughs> before that, you know, you sort of had to really research quite deeply to find these gangsters. And one of the reasons I was attracted to that kind of criminal was because so little was known about them. You couldn't really get it wrong. I know very few people that have been to Albania. So I was hoping that I would be able to write about it effectively without having to draw on too much detail. I mean, if you're writing about a city like London, you know, three quarters of the world have probably been there at some time or another or been exposed to an image of it. But Albania is very dark and very different. And the kind of people that live there are too. So Mm. um, there was lots of, you know, looking at Images of people looking at family trees, looking at the way that they dressed, looking at pictures on YouTube and then just Google as well, and sort of seeing them in their natural environment. And, you know, there was some wonderful stuff of Tallinn Square where you actually saw people walking around in the old fashioned clothes that they were wearing. And then, you know, this sort of like hoodlum would walk up, but also showing respect to some of the old ladies. So it was an interesting view, but I think it's a snapshot rather than a really definitive. Investigation into that type of person and criminal in in Albania.
0: Of course, yes. You know, you just have to give us an idea to sort of to um, set uh, the character in our minds. Uh, your your books seem to be evolving as they as they must. You know, in any good writer, your um your books are evolving. Bad blood. Um, the original was more. I'd think of more of a mystery. Um, you know, with the with those dead children. Um, but bad blood. Um, sorry, one shot. Um, it's actually quite violent. Um, are you worried about how you handle violence that it doesn't become too cartoonish?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point, and I, I sort of asked myself that question as well about the violence, but I think in this one, in one shot, the idea for me is that it's not the violence that's shocking, it's the mentality behind the violence that's shocking itself. So, I mean, he never dispatches anybody other than shooting them. Mm. You know, there's no sort of, like, gruesome tying people up or murdering them or things like that. It really is just a sense of this clinical precision in dispatching, almost mathematical precision in dispatching death. And I think that I wanted to explore, the idea of evil that thought itself good, that Mm. has been good in other circumstances where he's been working for the army and he's been lauded as this wonderful sniper and, you know, he's got all of these medals and things. And yet now when he's killing for his own purposes, it becomes evil. And I kind of wanted to explore that, I think, than Violence, but it's difficult to write about a man that you know deals death for a living without the body count rising.
0: Of course, Um, I was um, referring specifically to um, to the violence um, without any spoilers. The violence um, on a person very close to to Badger, which comes quite um, early on in the book and leaves the reader absolutely reeling. Um, Amanda,
1: yeah. Now, um, yeah. Okay. You know, I think the thing about that specifically was that there was no easy way to do it, and so it had to be horrible mm-hmm. and it had to be something that would affect everybody as much as it affected Badger. Yep.
0: I think that was the point behind that. Sure, sure. Amanda, now why did you choose crime as your first novel? I mean um, was there something else you would rather have written and this one just happened to be the one that got your contract?
1: No, I think I've always loved reading crime and so you know I think you start with what you know and what you're good at and the, the, the most exposure I've got of reading books is that of crime. I've Sort of from, you know, the Swedish Nordic ones to Icelandic ones to, you know, the ones that are set in Botswana, I, I'm a voracious reader when it comes to crime, and it's that's what I love about it, the fact that it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or whichever country you come from, there are people that don't choose to follow the rules, and what's interesting for me is where do these people come from, what makes them make the decisions that they do, and how it affects everybody differently. So it was always going to be crime, I think, I definitely experienced it with other genres, and, um, but I think I found my authentic voice in crime and I think it's because I had that story that I wanted to explore and Badger came before the story mm-hmm. I sort of fell in love with him before I managed to find the story around him I had this idea of a man who'd been abandoned and it was this idea of identity how do you grow into the man that you're supposed to be when you don't know where you come from and you don't know where you fit in and what is identity is it you know, the one that's put on us by society or do we somehow have to create ourselves and it was that question and then a man that would hide behind the law in some respects Mm -hmm. to be able to find the order that he can't find in his own personal life.
0: Yes, and I think in this genre, um, it's all about masculinity as well, isn't it? Why do you think yes. that um why do you think that there's such an appetite um for crime and thrillers? I mean, there are some who say that they're the folk tales of our age, you know, the stories that we tell around the fire to scare ourselves. Um why do you think that um there's such an appetite? I mean, any bestseller list in the world is full of of uh, thrillers.
1: I think it's because we're surrounded by it in the news and we need to make sense of it you know when you turn on the television and you see something completely random and senseless and you sort of like switch the tv off and you're in shock you want to know if you could, you'd want to be able to ask that question. Why did that happen? Who did that person think he was? What what came together? What series of events came together to make him make that decision or her? You know, sometimes we get shocking things like, you know, the little boy who raped his sister and then murdered his parents. We can't make sense of it. So crime, I think, is a way for society to try and make sense of it subconsciously. As a writer, it, you're sort of in the position of being the victim, the detective, the murderer all at once. And there's a level of control that you gain over it. But I think... We have to make sense of the violence that is in all of us, and we are surrounded by it, unfortunately, through the news, the media, all the time. And this is a, a creative outlet, a fantasy outlet, where mm. we try and make it make sense.
0: I do think it does have a deep psychological, a deeper psychological meaning for us than just pure entertainment. Now, in your your biography, um, says that you once worked at Holloway Women's Prison, which I find absolutely intriguing. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, it was a great experience. I was very young and very naive, but I enjoyed it. uh It was a a frightening time for me because when I went in there, some of the women sort of just went to the... I taught drama and they would come to the lesson simply to get off the wings and then they would sit and be very hostile and defiant and I didn't really have any management sort of skills to get them to cooperate with me and I'd sort of just be sitting there being intimidated the whole time and handing over tobacco and things like that but I did actually get a wonderful performance out of the women that wanted to do it and were moved to be part of the drama production Mm -hmm. but it was intense. It was very emotionally intense. These women, lots of them were there because of bad relationships bad choices that they'd made i mean it doesn't absolve them of the responsibility for crimes of, of you know that they did but still they were take some of them were taking responsibility for it by the men for the men and others had sort of been used by men and they were quite sad there was a baby in there you could have your children with you until six months old and then they were taken out and put into sort of care so you know most of our drama classes had a woman with a baby and then people would sort of take it in turns to pick her up and jostle her around and there was a fight where we had to lift the push chair up out the way at one point and you know but it it taught me a lot about the human condition the 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 best of it and the worst of it i think you know the way those women reacted to each other but also the way that they tried to manipulate me there's something very humbling in realizing that you know you're you i was a resource to them Mm -hmm. i was going to change lives and they just wanted tobacco
0: right but still i think fantastic material for the future writer that you became
1: Definitely. And, you know, it's those shades of people that you meet all the time that sort of like find their way into your work. And very rarely sort of overtly. I mean, I've never taken a person that I've met and recreated them in fiction. But all the time, those people that I've met in those different environments. I mean, I worked in a Jewish old age home. I worked in the East End for uh, a group that was suffering from mental illness, and we did a, a gender role play in there, and it was terrible yeah. because I'd only found it afterwards that one of the men had attacked his wife, and here I am saying, okay, you will try and be women, and you will try and be men, and let's explore that, and mm. it was, you know, afterwards, I sort of thought, I walked out of there by the grace of God with my, you know, my life intact, really, but <laughs> afterwards, I've gone back to that so many times and considered his reaction, uh-huh. and, and I think shades of that very often just appear in the writing.
0: Mm, they must do, they must do. Now, um, Amanda, you teach English, I think, up to maturity level which book do. do you which book do you love teaching
1: you know I I think after a while you don't love teaching any of them you just love the process of teaching and mm-hmm. I tend to fake it quite frankly I fake the enthusiasm and the passion that I have if I've done a poem times but it's the first time that these girls are hearing or these children are hearing it I need to imbue it with that same level of enthusiasm so it's the process of teaching rather than the literature itself that moves me I hate teaching language I'm not very really good at it I think it's a home language speaker I don't have the uh, technical understanding of it that some of my Afrikaans colleagues have when they teach English mm-hmm. as their language so but I love the poetry and the literature and getting getting the children to see that words have power that's what's wonderful for me when that light switch goes on when they look at a word and they didn't realize that it could change the way that you see the world that for me is a light bulb moment. And what, what are your pupils reading? themselves? Currently they read, yep, no well, I don't know, you know, very often they're reading sort of magazines and and books we've got a lot of the, you know, young adult stuff out there and they're enjoying that and they tend to i mean the twilight thing was massive at the time i mean they would w- sort of walk around grasping it to their breasts while they were reading that and that was you know but then that's the phase, and it comes and goes and it's replaced by different ones mm. it, it, it matters that they read i don't care what they're reading
0: i like what you're saying though about and um, when that light comes on when they realize the power the impact of words it reminds me of uh, when i was at school and you discover a poet like gerard manley hopkins and you realize that in fact english is quite flexible you know that you can yeah. that you can actually you know play with words. I think I think that must be very very rewarding. But now the, here you are. You're the deputy headmistress of the school. You have a young son of your own. Um, where on earth do you fit your writing in?
1: I'm sort of fairly ruthless. If I'm doing one task, then I'm fully committed to that task. And I've got four holidays a year in which I write. So I'll do the mental preparation before that. I'll do all my research. So when it comes to say the first holiday of the year, then I'll do the bare bones of the summary. Then sort of like sketch it out send it off, get it back, then the second holiday I'll do a proper rewrite and it goes like that so I tend to be rather seasonal, perhaps we could look at it in an organic way like that, you know, the seasons of the school, so Mm -hmm. my four holidays are my writing time, but I'm finding with my son as he gets a little bit older, he just turned five last month, uh, I'm getting less mental space, so you know, it's more, he's taking up more and more of my space that I would normally sort of, you know, use to murder people. I don't want to do that when he's around me anymore now. So instead I wait till I'm invigilating exams and I wander up and down and murder people then. Yeah.
0: How does your husband feel about you having become a murderer?
1: Yes, well, yeah, I think he enjoys it really. Often, like just joking and saying, you know, like he's married to a celebrity, and he likes it. He likes the fact that I'm creative. He's not creative himself in that respect, um, but he enjoys it. He used to read a lot, and when we were courting in the old days, we would talk about books. But I think he, golf is his big passion now. <laughs> Amanda,
0: I know you probably ask this a lot um, um, from festival to festival, but what's your advice to aspiring writers?
1: Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't be put off by people that say that you can't write or your writing's not good enough or they're not interested. The right person will see your work at the right time. And if you've got a genuinely interesting story to tell, there will be a place where it can be told has developed, firm, you know, just have the guts to keep going. And see rejection, you know, nobody can see rejection in a positive light. It's horrible. And when you're criticising writing, you're criticising something so intimate about yourself. Of but if you believe in your work and you believe, really, that you've got something that's interesting to say, eventually an opportunity will present itself.
0: You just have to remember I'm um, Stephen King, who, had, who papered the um, walls of his office with the rejection slips he got <laughs> right in the beginning.
1: That's right. I don't think there's a single writer that doesn't have that story, and I think it's important for all of us to remember, you know, we all started from a place where people said no, but isn't that the power of writing? Mm.
0: That eventually words change your future. Yeah, um, and I read manuscripts for publishers, and um, and I you know I'll say that there's often very good manuscripts that simply don't fit in with what the publishers are looking for at that time. So sometimes a rejection yeah. is not just about the quality of the book; it's about what fits on their list. You know, so I agree with you. I think um, I think young writers shouldn't shouldn't give up. Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope um, you can go back to your lunch and your busy busy day at the Bloody Book Week. Yes, I'm salivating at
1: the chocolate dessert that's staring in front of me. But thank (laughs) you for taking my mind off it for a moment or two. and, And thank you for the opportunity to talk on the show. Good, thank you. That's Amanda Kutzea,
0: and we're chatting about her new book called One Shot, and that's published by Macmillan. And she's appearing at the Bloody Book Week over the next few days. Have a look at the website to see where she's appearing. Right, I'll be back with the TM Live book show after the break.